Welcome to the Vanguard Church Podcast. You're about to hear a sermon from Vanguard Church Central in the heart of Colorado Springs. With every message, it's our prayer that you hear and learn how to live out your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. May your faith be strengthened, your hope increased, and your heart inspired to live for Jesus no matter the cost. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening. Good morning. So I don't usually do this, but I'm going to ask you guys to do something for me real quick. All right, you guys ready? All right, can you stand up? If you're able, thank you. All right, so today I'm going to put the, I'm going to spoiler alert, all right? At the end of today, we're going to be calling for baptisms. And what I'd like to do before we start the message is kind of join with God because God's doing some stuff around the country. Have you guys heard about what's going on at Asbury College? Yes, everybody. Our pastor was there. He sent me some videos yesterday. Super amazing revival kind of breaking out in certain parts of the country. And I want to see Vanguard Church as part of a revival movement in our city in Colorado Springs. So if you'll close your eyes, hands up, hands out, however you want to pray. We're going to pray um, as we start this morning. God, we, we know that every revival movement in the world across time has began with repentance. And guys, we look at our, our culture, we look at our city, as we take hard looks at our own lives, we know that there are moments and, and seasons that require us to repent and return to you. And I pray, God, as, as things are going on at Asbury College and other places around the country where your spirit is breaking out, God, I pray today that there would be a movement of God in our city. We can't manufacture it. We can't make it happen, but we can ask for it. We can ask for it as a people. And so today, God, we pray as we dig into this passage about rebellion and about sin and about ultimately your goodness and mercy, I pray that our congregation, our people here at Vanguard Church, God, would be a part of spreading the message of good news, of mercy and repentance and faith to the people around us. We love you, God, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, thank you guys. You guys can sit down. Thanks for indulging me this morning. Uh, I want to say welcome to our live stream today. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, Here's the thing, guys. I have four kids. I have four kids. I have one, you know, like uh, developing preteen. He's nine. I have two Tasmanian devils, four and two years old. They like to wrestle and destroy things. That's, that's, that's there. And I have one, one little princess, and she just turned one um, beautiful little daughter. And one of the things that I've learned, and I haven't, I haven't learned a lot over nine years of parenting, but what I've learned so far um, is that your kids can do lots of things to irritate you. They can do lots of things to make you crazy. They can do lots of things that can make you mad. But there's very little that they can do to make you stop loving them. And even, uh, even across the, the things that they could do, like, and I, again, I, I'm in like the clean up poop stage of parenting. <laughs> I'm not in the like, um, you know, high school driving jobs, boyfriends, girl. I'm not in that stage at all. So I don't, I don't get that yet. But I do know, <laughs> I do know that there's, there's very little they could do, I think, even looking forward that would make me stop loving them. There's a strange affection that we have for 
children that even when they drive us insane, they have, we have a, they have a soft spot in our hearts for them. And we'll do anything to take care of them. If they're sick, we'll bail them out of trouble if they need it. We'll wake up in ungodly hours to take care of a sickness or a problem that's going on. We love them with a love that's nearly unconditional. Amen? Amen. If you're a kid, just say thanks, mom and dad. <laughs> we love you. Appreciate it. And this is, this is very much like the love that God has for us. It's except even to a higher level. God's love is perfect. And we know that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. But here's the question I want to ask this morning as we think about Ezekiel, as we get into this passage, is we know that God's love will never, you know, there's nothing that can separate us from, from God's love, but are there things that can separate us from his blessing? Are there things that can separate us from the blessing of God as the people of God? Here's the thing. What do you do when your kids stop obeying your voice? Is business as usual? <laughs> no, Tony's like, no, it is not. <laughs> what do you do when love actually compels you to discipline your kids? What do you do <laughs> when you have to make your children's lives harder to bring them back into relationship with you? Because you see, Israel stopped listening to the voice of God. They stopped obeying his commands. They reneged on the covenant that they had made with him. And instead, they decided to chase every worldly blessing and sinful pleasure and forsake the God who delivered them from bondage in Egypt. And as a result, we're going to see today that God sends them back into bondage. First, the northern kingdom into Assyria, and the southern kingdom into Babylon. And he does this to get their attention. So today we're going to talk about a subject titled, Bring Me Back, Lord. And we're going to answer this question. How does God bring us back when we refuse to listen to his voice? So if you have your, your Bibles, your internet devices, your programs, we've got a thick program today. If you're you know, paging through that thing. We got a lot of trees. You know, we took a lot of trees down with this program today. Uh, it's going to be fun. Lots of scripture. I'm not sure if I'm going to read it all today. Um, there's some, uh, I, would, I would call it, um, let's see, a good, good way to describe it, uh, graphic <laughs> uh, language in the scriptures today. I'm not sure if I'm going to read it yet. I'm deciding still as I'm up here talking to you guys today. But here's the, here's the thing. We're going to cover chapters 20 and 23. And we're going to start in Ezekiel 20. It says this, on August 14th, during the seventh year of King Jehoiakim's captivity, some of the leaders of Israel came to request a message from the Lord. They sat down in front of me, this is Ezekiel, to wait for a reply. And this message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, this is God talking again, tell the leaders of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says, how dare you come to ask me for a message? As surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, I'll tell you nothing. Now that's terrifying. This is God's people coming to the prophet and saying, can we have a message from the Lord? And God says, nope. Why? 
Why? Keep reading. Son of man, bring these charges against them and condemn them. Make them realize how detestable the sins of their ancestors were. Give them this message from the sovereign Lord. When I chose Israel, that's important. God chose Israel. Israel didn't choose God at the beginning. When, they revealed, when I revealed myself to the descendants of Jacob in Egypt, I took a solemn oath that I, the Lord, would be their God. I took a solemn oath that day that I would bring them out of Egypt to a land that I had discovered and explored for them, a good land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the best of all lands anywhere. And I said to them, each of you, get rid of the vile images you are so obsessed with. Do not defile yourself with the idols of Egypt, for I am the Lord your God. This was the covenant that God made with them. He would bring them out of slavery and bondage. He would be their protector, their provider, their king, and their God. And he gave them a set of commands. Hey, stop worshiping the idols of Egypt. Stop prostrating yourselves before statues of silver and gold and worship the one true invisible God who could not be forged or fashioned or facsimiled. He couldn't be carved or chiseled or caricatured. He could not be whittled, woven, or warped into an image to be worshipped. Therefore, God said, you will not make a graven image of me. You'll not replace the creator with something created. Because their God, this God, our God, is incomprehensible. He cannot be represented, only revered. Think about that. Cannot be represented, only revered. Let's see what Israel does. Again, God speaking. But they rebelled against me and they would not listen. They did not get rid of the vile images that they were obsessed with or forsake the idol's of Egypt. Then I threatened to pour out my fury on them to satisfy my anger while they were still in Egypt. But I didn't do it, for I acted to protect the honor of my name. I would not allow shame to be brought on my name among the surrounding nations who saw me reveal myself by bringing the Israelites out of Egypt. So I brought them out of Egypt and I led them into the wilderness. Then I gave them my decrees, my regulations. This is Sinai, this is Moses coming down with the Ten Commandments so that they could find life by keeping them. A lot of times we think that rules are a buzzkill. <laughs> rules are meant to squash our fun. Rules are meant to bind us in. And in some sense, they are. Because think about it. What do we do with perfect freedom? If we can do whatever we want, what do we do? We mess up. <laughs> we get ourselves in trouble. So God is... And with Israel, God put these parameters, this fence around their behavior to separate them, to identify them as God's people. And he said, listen, you got this like huge area that you can play in. You can, there's a big playground. Just, just don't go outside the fence because there's wolves and traffic and other things out there. They're going to get you. But what does Israel do? And what do we do? They get little bolt cutters, go up to the fence and start snipping away. <laughs> So they can open it up and get out. <laughs> They're rebels. And sometimes we're rebels too. So then I gave them my decrees and, my reg and, and the regulations so they could find life by keeping them. And I gave them my Sabbath. 
My Sabbath days of rest is a sign between them and me. It was to remind them that I am the Lord who had set them apart to be holy. So again, he sets them apart with these laws and practices. He's gave them a pattern of life to follow, a set of parameters and these boundaries that differentiated them from the surrounding nations. And one of the best gifts that God gave them was a day of rest, a day that was set apart for them to remember who was their provider, who was their protector, who was the one that was going to take care of them. It's not themselves. It was God Almighty. And God wants us to worship together, to honor him as our Lord, but also to say to the world, hey, we're set apart from God. There's lots of things you could be doing on Sunday morning, and I'm so grateful that you guys are here. There's lots of things you could be doing. But you've chosen, you've made the decision to be here, to set aside time and energy and attention to, and give it to God. That is an act of worship. To give your attention to God. There's so many things in our world. I'm guilty of this all the time. It's so distracted by this thing and that thing and this thing and that thing. And I forget, I can forget to devote my attention to what God is doing, to what God is saying in my life. And that's what happens to the Israelites. They've, they're, they're, their attention has been distracted by this idol and that idol and this thing and that thing. And it's forgotten to pay Attention. Attention is costly. You have to pay for it. <laughs> right. This verse in Hebrews 10.25 is very explicit about gathering. It says, Let us not neglect our meeting together as some do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. When you hear a Christian say, I don't need to go to church to worship God. How many of you have heard that from somebody? Ever. Yeah. <laughs> How many of you have said that? <laughs> I appreciate the honesty of that. Yeah. Because what's, what's hard about this? Waking up, getting ready, like seeing people. People are hard sometimes. Amen? Amen. Amen. Family is hard sometimes. Right? You guys are all laughing. You guys know what I'm talking about. Family's hard, but this is a family. And God expects us to connect with one another. How can we pray for one another? How can we bear one another's burdens? How can we you know, be there in times of tragedy, in times of joy? How can we weep with those who are weeping and rejoice with those who are rejoicing if we're not in the community together? And I know, like I'm preaching to the choir this morning to you guys. You guys are all here. I said, I appreciate that. But there are people in your life devoted followers of Christ are like, man, I love Jesus. I just hate that church thing. I don't like going to church. And here's the reality. A lot of people got genuine reasons for not liking church. But here's the thing. Our job is to draw them back in. in connection, relationship, love, mercy, help. It's like, What's going on? Oh, my life is terrible. Well, let me connect with you. Let me help you. And then they see, hey, there's a whole... And I'll tell you this. This is a real cool thing. Um, we had a, a lady in our church who was moving. And, you know, one of the guys in our life group, he had organized, hey, we're going to get, you know, some people to come from our life group, all the guys. And ended up having like 15 or 16 people from our church helping Deb move. This <laughs> like a weekend or so ago. It was awesome. Yeah, it was amazing. I was like, this is the church. 
Like this is the truth. And we did it real fast in like four hours versus like a whole day. It was great. Lots of manpower and woman power too, actually. It was nice. But that's what the church is. That is this thing, this, this body that can help one another in times of need, can rejoice, can weep, can do all these things. God expects us to be together. Christianity is a team sport. It's basketball, it's football, it's baseball, it's not golf. <laughs> Nothing against golf, <laughs> but golf's a solo sport. We do this together. We do this in community as part of a family. So how does God bring us back when we refuse to listen to his voice? First, first thing, he confronts us for not regularly worshiping together. Again, we need to continue, we need others to continually hear from God and have the courage to obey him. None of us are strong enough to go it alone. It would be like the people who came to the family reunions or never came to the family reunions, who never came to Christmas, who never came to birthdays, never came to funerals, but then they showed up when somebody died to receive an inheritance. They never acted like members of the family until it was time to get something. It's not how family works. It's not how the church works. Connect together and do this thing together. So how do you think Israel responds to this, this uh, word from the Lord? You think they repent? No, they don't. It says, but the people rebelled against me. This is verse 13. And they refused to obey my, my, obey my decrees in the wilderness. They wouldn't obey my regulations. Through Their obedience would have given them life. They also violated my Sabbath day. So I threatened to pour out my fury on them. And I made plans to utterly consume them in the wilderness. Then I warned their children not to follow in their parents' footsteps, defiling them with their idols. I said, I'm the Lord. Follow my decrees. Pay attention to my regulations and keep my Sabbath holy. For there are signs to remind you that I am the Lord, your God. But the children too rebelled against me. And I gave them over to worthless decrees and regulations that would not lead to life. So he let them do things that wouldn't lead to life. I let them pollute themselves with the very gifts I'd given them. And I allowed them to give their firstborn children as offerings to their gods. So I might devastate them and remind them alone that I am the Lord. Here's a question. Would God ever let his children wreck their own lives in order to remind them that he and he alone is God? Does that like fit into your paradigm of who God is? No. <laughs> but we have a Bible, right? The Bible helps us to understand that God would do that. <laughs> that he gives people up to passions. That he gives them over to passions. That he allows things to come into our life when we say, you know what, I'm not going to listen to God. I'm going to do my own thing. And God lets those things Consume us. So this is what God says. Therefore, son of man, therefore give the people of Israel this message from the sovereign Lord. Do you plan to pollute yourselves just as your ancestors did? Do you intend to keep prostituting yourselves by worshiping vile images? For when you offer gifts to them and give your children to be burned as sacrifices, you continue to pollute yourselves with idols to this day. Should I allow you to ask me for a message, O people of Israel? As surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, I'll tell you nothing. So how does God bring us back when we refuse to listen to his voice? He stops listening and stops speaking. 
stops listening to us and stops speaking to us. Here's a question, another one. Does God speak or listen to those who are in active and consistent rebellion against him? I don't think so. He lets consequences do the talking. He lets the consequences of our actions speak to us. He lets circumstances get our attention. Say, hey, wrong direction. Wrong way, guys. That's what he's saying. So I have to ask this question. I asked this question to myself as I was preparing this message. Like, one, is God speaking? I think he is. But have there been times when I've been in active rebellion against God with unconfessed sin, with a, a life that was headed down the wrong path where he just said, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm not going to speak to you. I'm not going to answer your prayers. I'm going to let your consequences do the talking. So if you're in a place like that today, I want to ask you to take some time this week. Examine your heart. See if there's unconfessed sin. If things are going badly, if things are kind of off the rails, if things have, have kind of gone wonky for you, and you're not hearing God's voice, you're not hearing God's direction in your life, just ask yourself, is there something, God, like that is unconfessed? Am I letting a habit, an attitude, a mindset, a set of actions derail me from a relationship with you. I'm not saying that that's what's going on if God's not speaking. Sometimes he's quiet. Sometimes he just whispers. But it's a question all of us should ask all the time. It's like, help, help me see if there's something inside of me that needs to be repented of. Help me see if there's something that you don't want there so I can move forward, I can confess it, I can repent, I can come back into relationship with you. Here's the thing, God's long-suffering, and it takes a while to get here, to this spot where he stops talking. It was hundreds of years for the people of Israel. And even now, he's giving them, if you think about it, he's giving them a message. He's saying, the message is, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. But he's still giving them a message from Ezekiel. There's still a prophet in the midst of the people saying, listen, listen to what God is saying. You've sinned. I'm, he's not going to talk to you anymore. Repent. Come back. Even in his mercy, even saying, you know what, I'm turning off the microphone. God is still talking through Ezekiel to the people of God. And maybe today God has stopped talking to you, but maybe this message is something God is saying, hey, there's Josh up there. He's doing his best or whatever, but he's talking to me through what he, you're saying through his word. Maybe that's you today. And God is like, listen up. <laughs> I'm sending somebody to you. I'm not talking to you, but my word and this dude is saying something to you this morning. That's mercy. We're going to get to mercy here in a little bit. That's mercy from God. So I'll allow you to be here and hear his word. I remember as a, a younger, younger guy, high school kid, um, from my sophomore to like senior year, I lost about 60 pounds. I grew about six inches. And I was playing baseball. I was having a great time. High school, at the end of high school, was super fun. Um, but I got into some like bad habits with my girlfriend, right? And over time, God's like, I knew I was doing this wrong, right? I knew I was doing this wrong, and nothing was really going on. And God's like, Hey, you need to stop doing that. Stop doing that. Stop doing that. And a couple of things happened that got my attention. First off, my car broke down like completely. <laughs> Timing belt broke. He was like, okay, this thing's 15 years old. 
we're not fixing this. This is done. Car broke. And I had a playoff game that I was pitching in high school, and I had pitched really well all season, like really good ERA, lots of strikeouts, not any walks. You know, anything about baseball, that's good. And in the game, it was a playoff game. Like if we lost the game, it was a bad deal. We ended up winning, but I pitched terribly. Lots of walks, lots of runs, three innings. It's a bad day. And I'm in my room, the hotel room. We're in Lubbock, Texas. All the guys were asleep that I was rooming with. And I couldn't sleep because I knew what was going on. It's like God was getting my attention. So I remember walking up to the bathroom sink, just putting my hand on the thing, looking at myself and saying, like, what are you doing? And it was like God saying, like, what are you doing? Like, you know what you need to do. You know what you need to stop doing. You know what you need to do. And so we came home. We won the series. We got to go the next round. I was grateful for that. When I came home, I was like, I had to break up with this girl. It's like, I can't do it anymore. So God got my attention, and I was grateful for that. He was long-suffering with me. He used things to help me understand what was going on. It's verse 32. So you say you want to be like the nations all around us who serve idols of wood and stone, but what you have in mind will never happen. As surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, I will rule over you with an iron fist in great anger and with awesome power. This is a cool verse right here. And in anger, I will reach out my hand, my strong arm, or my strong hand, my powerful arm, and I will bring you back from the lands where you're scattered. with a, an anger, <laughs> strong hand, powerful arm, I'll bring you back. God's saying, I'm not gonna let you destroy yourselves. I will judge you and I will bring you back. This is part of God's graciousness to us. He loves us so much. He's not gonna let us destroy ourselves completely. So he judges us so that we'll come back. God never judges his people because he hates them. And I know as like a kid when I would get in trouble, it's like, yeah, I think my parents hate me because they're disciplining me. And that's, that's a childish way to think about this, right? That's the way kids think. But as we mature, we know like discipline is for our good. Discipline is for our God. He judges them. God judges us because he loves us. He loves us. We're going to come back to this at the end of the message. He continues in verse 39. As for you, O people, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Go right ahead, worship your idols, but sooner or later you will obey me and stop bringing shame on my name by worshiping idols. Then when I have brought you home to the land I promised with a solemn oath to give to your ancestors, you'll know that I'm the Lord. You'll look back on all the ways you defiled yourselves and you'll hate yourselves because of the evil that you've done. You will know that I am the Lord, O people of Israel, when I have honored my name by treating you mercifully in spite of your wickedness. I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. This is still God's plan for our lives. And I think we can all relate to this. We've all gone through those cycles of sorrow and repentance and restoration. We all feel this from time to time. And again, we're going to come back to this in a little bit. Then God says this. This is the message that I that came to me from the Lord. Son of man, turn and face uh, Jerusalem and prophesy against Israel and her sanctuaries. Tell her, this is what the Lord says. I'm your enemy, O Israel. So we just went from mercy, now we're, now we're God's enemy. And I'm about to unsheath my sword to destroy the people. 
the righteous and the wicked alike. I'll cut off both the righteous and the wicked. I will draw my sword against everyone in the land from the south to the north. Everyone in the world will know that I am the Lord. My sword is in my hand and I will not return it to its sheath until its work is finished. He says, son of man, again, he's talking to Ezekiel, groan before the people, groan before them with bitter anguish and a broken heart. When they ask what you're going to tell them, I groan because of the terrifying news that I've heard. When it comes true, the boldest heart will melt with fear. All strength will disappear. Every spirit will faint. Strong knees will become as weak as water. And the sovereign Lord says, it's coming, it's on its way. So he's telling Ezekiel, groan, cry out. And it's not like, oh, it's like, ah! It'd be like us thinking, there's a nuclear bomb coming for Colorado Springs. Like, that's what this is like. It's like, oh, no, everyone is going to die. That's what God's saying to Ezekiel. I'm coming for the righteous and the wicked. Coming for everyone. And so think about how scared you would be if you knew that was coming. And you couldn't do anything about it. This is God. There's no one stronger than God going to come stay his hand. He's saying, I'm coming. It's on its way. So how does God bring us back when we refuse to listen to his voice? He lets us know judgment is coming. And I don't think it's ever as, as explicit as this. But we know that when we sin, when we're in rebellion against God, we feel it, right? We feel the anticipation that the shoe's going to drop. We feel the anticipation in our stomach, in our heart, can't sleep, sweating, anxious. We know that something is on its way. We never get away with things. God is too good to let us get away with stuff forever. He lets us know judgment's coming. Chapter 22 says, Now this message came from the Lord. Son of man, are you ready to judge Israel or judge Jerusalem? Are you ready to judge the city for the city of murderers? Publicly denounce their detestable sins. Every leader is bent, who lives in Israel in your walls is bent on murder. Fathers and mothers are treated with contempt. Foreigners are forced to pay for protection. Orphans and widows are wronged and oppressed among you. Within the walls live men who commit adultery with their neighbors' wives, who defile their daughter-in-laws, who rape their own sisters. But now I clap my hands in indignation over your dishonest gain and bloodshed. When I have been dishonored among the nations because of you, you will know that I am the Lord. Verse 30 says, I looked for someone who might rebuild the walls of righteousness that guard the land. I searched for someone to stand in the gap of the wall so I wouldn't have to destroy the land, but I found no one. Now I'll pour my fury on them. So how does God bring us back when we refuse to listen to his voice? Number four, he looks for someone righteous to address us in our sin. He looks for someone righteous to address our sin. Now, when when God sends someone to confront you in your sin, don't see it as just from a human. See it from God. God's trying to give you a lifeline. How many of you have been in a season of sin and someone has come to say, dude, lady, what are you doing? Do any of you have friends who would do that to you? If you don't, find someone. <laughs> find someone who will love you enough when you're in the midst of a stupid you know, season of making decisions, a sinful season, he'll say, dude, stop doing that. Like you are missing the mark. You have wandered from God. We all need friends like that. If you're a young person, 
in here? Kid? Teenager? You need someone like that. You need a friend who will say, you're being an idiot. You need a friend saying, stop being stupid. Find that person. If you're an older person, or you're a middle-aged person, or whatever it is, find a friend like that. You need someone to do that with you, who will tell you the honest truth about what you're doing. I remember a couple years ago, my, my good friend and fellow elder, John, John Wilson, he and I did not have a great relationship. And mostly on, I mean, I would say now, as I look back on it, all my fault. And he took me to lunch. And he said, Josh, bang, 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 bang. It's like, well, this was a cheerful lunch. Thank you. <laughs> but it was something I had to hear at the time. One, so we could have a good relationship. But two, that I would just have better relationships with people. That I wouldn't be irritating everybody. And I still irritate my wife especially. But I still irritate some people. <laughs> but it's way better than it used to be. Because a friend helped me out. The proverb said, faithful are the wounds of a friend. But deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. The next section of Ezekiel, this is, verse, this is chapter 23. Um, there's a, it's a parable about two sisters. I'm not going to read all the details. Um, this, is where if you, this is where some of the, uh, the more body and uh, sexually explicit language in this text is. So you can go read it for yourself if you'd like to. But essentially, there's a, there's a, a parable of two sisters. Samaria and Judah, Jerusalem. And God says, you know, Samaria, and they were the first kind of part of Israel to be judged. He said, they went after the Assyrians. They went after these, these handsome men, these officers dressed in, in beautiful clothing. They prostituted themselves to these people. And they were judged by it. They were judged for it. The, the northern kingdom of Israel was destroyed, taken into captivity in Assyria. And then God says, well, the, the younger sister, she was not too bright. Because she did not learn from the mistakes of her older sister. She too went after these Assyrians. She lusted after them. She prostituted herself before them. She let the, you know, she let the men fondle her and sexually exploit her. And then after all that, she said, oh, these guys are, these guys are okay. But I really, really, really like the Babylonians. They're much more handsome. They're much more you know, vigorous. They're much more strong and you know, strapping. And they have all the things that I'm looking for. And she prostitutes herself before them. And God says, now I'm going to use Babylon to destroy you. This, this desire that you've had, I'm going to take this to desire. I'm going to turn it to your destruction. And we see this all over the place. We see this with substance abuse. We see this with pornography. We see this with um, social media. We see this with lust and money. We see it everywhere. The thing that, that we can't live without becomes the thing that utterly destroys our lives. Number five, how does God bring us back when we refuse to listen to his voice? He uses those we sin with to judge us. And he uses that which we sin with to judge us. Again, our desires become our destruction. Verse 25 says, I will turn my jealous anger against you, and they will deal harshly with you. This is Babylon. They will cut off your nose and your ears, and any survivors will then be slaughtered by the sword. Your children will be taken away as captives, and everything that's left will be burned. They will strip you of your beautiful clothes and jewels. In this way, I will put a stop to the lewdness 
and prostitution you brought from Egypt, you will never again cast a longing eye on those things or fondly remember your time in Egypt. For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I will surely hand you over to your enemies, to those you loathe, those you rejected. They will treat you with hatred and rob you of all you own, leaving you stark naked. The shame of your prostitution will be exposed to all the world. You brought all this on yourself by prostituting yourselves to other nations, defiling yourselves with their idols. And this is a thing that we see all throughout the scriptures. God compares idol worship to prostitution because God is the, the, the husband of Israel. And when Israel goes and worships other gods, gods, it's like they're prostituting themselves before you know, they're cheating on their husband for money and for fame and for recognition. And God says, nope, not doing that anymore. He's going to take off the clothes. I'm going to cut off the nose. He's going to make his bride undesirable to the nations. It's, it's rough stuff this morning. God takes sin really, really seriously. Do you guys know that? The prophets are great at helping us understand this because sometimes we think, oh, God is love, 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 love. And that's true. God is love. He's perfect love. He's the kind of love that doesn't let his people sin. <laughs> He's the kind of love that disciplines his children. We have to broaden our understanding of who God is and how he deals with us as his people because he wants us to worship him. Because he is the only sovereign God. He is the only one who is worthy of worship and praise and adoration and reverence. And he does not share his glory with anybody. He really hates sin. Simply said. Number six, how does God bring us back when we refuse to listen to his voice? He allows us to bear the consequences of our sin. He says, you're going to suffer the full penalty, then you're going to know that I am the Lord. He's not going to hold back. He's going to allow the consequences of our lives, the circumstances of our lives, to teach us the lesson that he wants us to understand. But remember that promise that he gave. Ezekiel 20, 34. And in my anger, I'll reach out with a strong hand and a powerful arm, and I will bring you back from the lands where you are scattered. You will know that I am the Lord, O people of Israel, when I have honored my name by treating you mercifully in spite of your wickedness. I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. So how does he bring us back when we refuse to listen to his voice? Number seven, he treats us with mercy in spite of our sin. Because mercy is compassion in the presence of unrighteousness. The innocent don't need mercy. They need justice. The guilty need mercy. Now here's the question. Why does it honor God's name to treat his people with mercy? Because that's his character. That is his character. It's in his nature to be merciful. It's in his nature not to utterly destroy. Satan comes to, to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came that we would have life and life abundantly. Compassion Mercy, grace, restraints are all in the character of God. He can't not be merciful. As Israel suffers, we suffer for our wickedness. 
And God has our attention. And we're listening again. He promises, I'll bring you back. I'll show you mercy in spite of your wickedness. Listen to Lamentations 3, 31 through 33. It says, for the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he caused grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. The nation of Israel wanted God's blessing, but they refused to obey God's voice. They wanted to hear from God about what mattered to them, but they didn't want to hear God talk to them about what mattered to him. And I can relate. Paul could relate and he says, that the things I want to do, I don't do. Things I shouldn't do, those are the things that I do. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Our hearts can grow, grow cold and indifferent to the voice of God the longer we linger with sin. And I think we all want God's blessing, right? But eventually that blessing is withheld because we're no longer obedient to the voice of God in our lives. But there's mercy. Say that with me. There's mercy. There's mercy. As we read the rest of the Old Testament, we see that God does bring his people home. It's not perfect, but they come back. It's never as it was when David ruled over the kingdom or when Solomon built the beautiful temple. But we do see the mercy as a foretaste of what he would do with the Messiah who was to come. It was a whisper of God's mercy that he would, that he would fully realize, that would be fully realized in the person and in the work of Jesus. And this mercy wouldn't just apply to the people of Israel. It would be open to every person from every tribe and tongue and nation on the earth. Amen? It wasn't just about Israel. It became about everybody. The mercy is now, that mercy is now available to any who would repent and call on the name of the Lord. Thanks for listening to the Vanguard Central Podcast. We encourage you to go out and live your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. God bless you, friend. See you next time.